Welcome to uh, Sierra Bible Church. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Jesse, and uh, one of the pastors here, part of a, just a tremendous team that loves the Lord, gets to serve the Lord, and so just want to welcome you. Uh, if you are new here, or you've been here for the last few weeks and you're not yet connected, want to make sure that you take time to visit our info booth just to my right outside here, your left, and uh, we got a free gift for you. We want to give you a book uh, that we like to give our first-time visitors, and at that info booth is the hub of all things Sierra Bible Church. You can sign up for our newsletter there. You can sign up for our newsletter online that we send out every week. In fact, uh, one of the things that we have on that newsletter, if you have kids that are next door, so I don't know if you noticed, we just had a whirlwind of uh, children run next door. And uh, if you are a parent of those children, we launch family devotions on that newsletter every week. So a great incentive to sign up uh, for that. You can walk with your kids through what they're learning next door and you can keep track that we are teaching them the gospel and teaching them uh, the word. And so if you're new, please make sure you get connected there. Uh, and, and we are going to be in Galatians chapter 2 this morning, so go ahead and uh, start turning there while I uh, mention a couple announcements. And if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. One of the ushers will gladly, uh, would gladly hand you a Bible that you can use. And if you don't own a Bible and you want one for free, go ahead and take it. We'll replace those. Uh, no cost to you. <clears throat> a couple of announcements. One is Brad Knoll's going to share outside. You saw some stuff for uh, Truckee Elementary. He's got a couple uh, announcements for what we're doing there. So welcome, Brad. He's in charge of outreach and worship. So you give Brad a big round of applause for serving us so well, and uh, he'll connect with you there. And as you'll find out on the deck, check, check, there we go. As we go out on the deck there, um, there are some baskets and some names of, of the various staff. Some of them um, are the nurses, uh, the custodians, the teachers, the principals, uh, the various people that, that pour into the, the kids at Truckee Elementary. And the object for you is to have a non-threatening way to get on mission. Everybody say mission. And that's part of our core value for, for the church here is to be on mission, to be in a community, to be rubbing shoulders with non-believers. And um, for you, fill it up with some, some good stuff. Don't go home and just empty out your junk drawer and just put it into the basket and give it to me. We want to um, give things that are good to, to people so that they, you are representing Christ. So as we come, as you fill those things up, please take one. Um, bring it back next week. It's an opportunity for you to get into the community and just love on somebody. Write a note saying, we're praying for you. Sierra Bible Church loves you. A personal note saying, hey, um, Jesus came for you. He loves you. He died for you. Um, an opportunity to share the gospel. Secondly, Trunk or Treat is kind of um, our next event coming up. In the foyer, we have our bin out. Um, if you don't know what our Trunk or Treat event is, basically it's a non-threatening way to get people through our parking lot, to be able to love on them, to share the love of Christ. We have opportunities to share the gospel. We have a scavenger hunt that, that gives them the, um, the colors of the gospel. Uh, we have people that are um, engaging with these folks. So we start off with the candy drive. We need tons of candy. There were 1,000 people that came through our parking lot last year. So um, if you are looking for a way to give, um, stop at Costco, grab some chocolate, Dump it into the barrel. Uh, we need your help. And then furthermore, as Trunk or Treat kind of rolls out, we need people to help out too. So thanks. I appreciate it. Have a great day. Thank you. Thank you. Um, 
And we're supposed to have a baby shower for Annie Casey. I want to mention this real quickly. She's uh, the daughter-in-law of Joe Casey. And I don't know why he keeps doing it. They did this in the last service too. So um, if you can go, yeah, goodness gracious. Um, she, <laughs> I'm okay. I don't want to have a little bout of anger here in front of you. Um, <laughs> The last slide, the last slide, I don't, I don't need it in front of me. I'm mainly with, <laughs> okay, well, super, super awkward. No. Wow, that was weird. Um, the media team does need help, so since that is up, I'll mention that first. Brad is your connection point to that. Uh, we're looking for people to run the, the sound uh, and, and some people would help with words. We'll train you all, all that stuff. It's really not that difficult. We're also looking for people to operate the camera for the services. We're pretty close to launching our, um, our live services. So during the winter when there's snow and stuff and you can't make it, uh, we'll, we'll hopefully have that hopefully by winter. So we do need some uh, volunteers for that. And then I mentioned Annie Casey on the last slide. We're supposed to have in your bulletin, it's there, ladies. So this is our way of blessing gals who have their first baby as part of Sierra Bible Church. We give them a, a really... Uh, big gift, a nice gift, and then we love on them. And Annie, Annie's water broke this morning, um, and so she's at the hospital in Renown right now getting ready for premature labor. She's about five, six weeks early. Uh, so if you could be praying for her, we would appreciate that. And so that's one of the things that the, the women's ministry uh, does here is, is uh, do a, a baby shower for the girls. And then, um, and then Tracy's going to share a little bit about a mentoring program re- briefly here. So Tracy, would you please share um, what's going on with the mentoring program that you're launching here in just a couple weeks? Might have been Brad that did it. It's Brad's fault. This time. It's never my fault. I don't need so, another hug. Oh, now I'm. it's not. Okay. Um, we are launching a <clears throat> mentoring program, which I am super excited about. Um, Titus, Paul wrote in Titus um, that older women are to teach what is good and so train the younger women that the word of God may not be reviled. And um, so this program is, it's kind of scary to be mentored because you have to be humble and people find out about you and we don't want everybody to know our little dark secrets. And it's, it's um, very intimidating to mentor and I had asked Bobby Johansson to mentor me. It took me two years to ask her because she was just a spiritual giant to me and I found out she's just normal like me. But in my eyes, she was just, you know, I couldn't ask her. So I finally did. And she said, oh, I can't mentor you. you there's nothing I could teach you. And I, I begged her. I said, it took me two years to ask you. You have to mentor me. <laughs> so, um, you know, she, she was a little bit ahead of me. Her kids were out of the house. I was struggling with raising kids and um, I wanted to pray like she prayed. She's just amazing um, when she prays. She prays the scripture. And um, uh, she was doing what God called her to do to um, work with trafficked women. I mean, how much more godly can you get than that? So um, she did. And, um, but just to say that somebody who you think is, would never mentor you will. And um, she, I call her my prayer mentor, and she's a prayer warrior mentor. Um, so this program is it's one mentor with six women. And so it's not as scary because there'll be six of you together. And it's really just about us kind of wrap, you know, holding, uh, locking arms together around in a circle and protecting each other and going through life with the ups and downs. It's through the school year. It'll end in June. 
And um, so October 14th is a kickoff. We meet once a month. It's not a Bible study. It's an intentional discipleship program. Um, women of all ages, young women, old women, in between women, moms, singles, married, doesn't matter. Um, but I'll be at the info booth, booth after. You can sign up, and um, I will contact you. We need to get the groups together before we launch on October 14th. Thanks. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate it. Stefan, if you can reset that clock for me, too, that would be great. Um, so Galatians, we're going to jump into the message uh, this morning. So we've been in this book for a little bit. And um, what's at stake with Galatians, if you remember, is the gospel. And so Paul has written this book. He uh, was once a persecutor of Christians. He becomes a Christian himself, becomes one of the main authors of Christianity within the New Testament. And Paul uh, is... is is emphatic that we must hold on to the reality that you and I are saved by grace and grace alone in faith, through faith, in Jesus alone. And that we're not to add anything at all to the gospel of Jesus Christ and how somebody gets in contact with a relationship with the God of the universe. So Paul has planted this church. He's moved on to plant other churches and to encourage other churches and to love other Christians and to see more people coming to Jesus Christ. While he's gone, a group of men have snuck into the church, Judaizers who accepted Jesus as Savior, but decided that in order to really be saved, not only did you have to accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, but you had to accept all of the Mosaic laws, all of the ceremonial laws that exist in the Old Testament if you were a Jew. They were adding to the gospel for salvation. Now, I want to explain something that's important before we get into the text this morning, before we stand and before we read. I want you to understand uh, what's occurring in chapter 2, verses 11 through 21. What's occurred is, is that Peter Peter, who walked with Jesus Christ, was a disciple of Jesus Christ, and was also a Jewish man. He, uh, he practiced all the Jewish customs, and if you remember, he one day in Acts chapter 6, he, he, was, uh, he was hanging out and had a vision. And some of you might remember, if, you're, if you've read any of this before, you know that he had a vision where, where a blanket, a sheet, a picnic, if you will, uh, came down before him, and on the blanket... Uh, that was hovering by all four corners as it landed in front of him was every creepy, crawly thing that you could imagine, all that which the Jewish individual was not to eat. And, And if you remember, what does God say to Peter in the vision? Kill and eat. And Peter responded with an emphatic, no, thank you. Uh, I, it reminds me of the time several years ago, my wife and I went on a missions trip to Papua New Guinea. And in the jungles of Papua New Guinea, they eat bugs because they are rich in protein and they are free. And, uh, and so one day we were sitting down with a bunch of missionary kids from all over the world and they had cooked for us these special uh, Papua New Guinea beetles. And they brought them out. They were deep fried beetles. They brought them out. They set them before us just as God set these creepy crawly things before Peter. And they said, eat. And I said, just as Peter did, no. Uh, My wife's a little more braver than I. And she said, sure. And she dove in and started eating them to which then I had to man up and uh, eat some. And I did. Um, and, and really what occurs within this, so you understand the reason, the reason Peter was so emphatic about not eating uh, these particular foods is that the Jewish people, through the Mosaic law, through the practicing of these laws, were separate. They, they were made separate because of adhering to these laws. Not only were they made separate, they were 
uh, they had to do with cleanliness. They had to do with the fact that, that you could not be unclean. So to the Jews, what you ate and who you ate food with declared that you were a believer in God and to break the law of God, the Mosaic law of God, if you ate something that was unclean, it made you unclean and it, it was an actual act of defiance. It was sin for them to eat something that God said you shall not eat. And the reason it was set up was so that God would show people that in order to be in a relationship with a holy, pure, completely clean and perfect God, you too had to be holy, perfect, and clean. So there were all these ceremonies, all of these different things that people had to do in order to be in right relationship with God, to show that they were pure before God. Then Jesus shows up on the scene, and Jesus tells us that these laws no longer apply to us because Jesus is the one who makes us clean. Amen? Okay? We don't have to do anything to be clean because Jesus has done everything that needs to be clean. So, so here's Peter. He's a practicing Jew who now believes in Jesus Christ. He's hanging out by himself in the book of Acts. A blanket comes down before him. God says, eat all these creepy crawly things that you've never eaten before. And he says, absolutely not. And God says, yes, eat. Do not call unclean that which I have now made clean, he says. Eat. So he partakes and if you remember, after he partakes of his little picnic, he, he then, after eating, God then says to him, now I want you to go to a man by the name of Cornelius, who is a Gentile, who's a non-practicing Jew, who has been eating these creepy crawly things for a lot longer than you have. I want you to go meet with him. I want you to share the gospel with him. And Peter realizes in this moment that God no longer shows favoritism by a nation or through diet or through rules or religion and regulation, but through relationship with Jesus Christ, Peter then goes and eats this meal. So I want you to understand the, the reality in two parts. One is, here's Peter. He's a Jew. He's encountered Jesus. He knows the grace of God. He experiences this grace is not just for Jews. The saving message of Christ is no longer just for the Jewish people. Yahweh is no longer just for the Jewish people. It's for Gentiles. Any Gentiles in the room this morning? Yeah, if you've eaten pork your entire life, you are a Gentile, okay? And all the bacon lovers said, amen, I'm a Gentile. So here he is. He, he, has, never, he has never tasted, I mean, just this stuff's funny to me, but <laughs> Peter has never had bacon. Poor Peter. And God says, you can have pork now. And so now all of a sudden, he crosses over into the realm of the gospel. He's with Cornelius. He's eating bacon. He's eating anything that he wants. He's in right relationship with all of these other Gentiles, and he's enjoying the fact that God now is not for one nation, but he's for many nations. He's for all people, every tribe and every tongue. And then what happens is, you'll see here in a moment, what happens is the Judaizers come in and Peter starts to be fearful and he jumps away from the gospel of grace and he removes himself. He turns his back on the Gentiles and he goes back to just eating with the Jews and he separates himself away from the Gentiles again. And this is where we pick up in the text, okay? And so what you're gonna see is you're gonna see Paul. Paul is going to openly rebuke Peter for his actions. So here's a good way, here's a good way for you to picture it in our society today. Imagine showing up to church and we've got a potluck, okay? And, uh, and, and in this potluck, I start to get into a food fight with Wayne. We start to argue about who can eat what. 
And that's essentially what's happening. You've shown up to a potluck. You've shown up to an awkward church situation. Have you ever been a part of those weird church situations? You've got two believers arguing about something that doesn't seem to be that big of a deal, but Paul is sharing the gospel that you are saved by faith and you are justified by faith alone is at stake, and he stands up to Peter. So as Paul stands up to Peter, would you please stand with me as we dive into Scripture this morning? I want everyone to take note. I mentioned a couple weeks ago uh, that uh, someone in the church let me know that, that wasting water bottles was a bad deal. I've got, I received a new water bottle in the mail today. That I am no longer uh, killing Lake Tahoe, keeping Lake Tahoe blue, so praise the Lord. Yeah. And this is the problem with what we just shared, right? Three of you are like, yay, save the environment. And the other 200 of you are like, what in the world? And we're going to touch upon that in the text here a little bit. Um, Verse 11, <clears throat> but when Cephas, this is Peter's old name, so this is Peter, he's speaking of Peter, when Cephas, I'm um, sorry, chapter 2, verse 11, if I didn't make that clear, chapter 2, verse 11, but when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with Gentiles, but when they came, he drew back and he separated himself, fearing the circumcision of the party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step, that's a good word to underline, it's key to the text this morning, not in step, that language there, in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if though a Jew live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person, such good language in this passage here, a lot of meat in the next few verses, that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also uh, believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if on our, our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too are found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life now, I live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Lord, would your words be true? Mold us, shape us, move us, Lord, to live in your image and live for you and your glory. We trust you for this. In Jesus' name, the church said, amen. You may be seated. So Peter is being rebuked by Paul for his bad table manners. He is being rebuked by Paul because he at one time was eating with the Gentiles. Now he has removed himself. In part, in part we're told that he, he leans this way because of fear, the fear of those who have uh, the power of circumcision, the, the Jews. So in his fear, he removes himself from right relationship with Gentiles and right relationship with God himself. Now remember here, uh, there, Paul is trying to continue in the text establish his authority that he is an apostle, that he 
deserves to carry the authority that he carries, that he actually knows who Jesus is. And what better way to do this than to stand up to somebody like Peter who actually walked with Jesus and was there when Jesus died and was resurrected from the dead. So we see Paul's authority in rebuking Peter, and he's letting Peter know that his actions, his actions are actually uh, really, really detrimental to the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's saying, Peter, you're, you're teaching people, whether you realize it or not, you're teaching people that in order to be saved, they need to add something to the message of Jesus Christ. And the reason Peter does this is because he's afraid. That's the number one reason people typically will remove themselves from their Christianity and the gospel of grace and step into a realm that is anti-Christ because of a fear of man or a fear of people. This is Peter. He is fearful. And this is at least the fourth time that we see Peter is practicing this issue of fear of man. Do you remember the first three? We denied Jesus three times. Now after being saved and and even after in the book of Acts, him standing up and, and preaching the message that he did to the people in the book of Acts in early Christianity, he now is returning to his sin, which just reminds me that you and I, no matter how long we've been Christians, can still backslide into old habitual sinful habits. Anyone say amen to that? Anyone still struggling with something for 20 years? Some of you are like, 20? Try 50. Uh, it, it happens. And, and God's love is still for us. The reason this, I think, is an important message is when I, one of the things that I study because of the fact that I, I am a pastor and I work in a church uh, quite a bit and, and I do churchy things quite often, I listen to a lot of different messages. I, I look and see who are the influencers in Christianity today. In fact, I saw a list on Twitter of, of the top 50 uh, pastors you should follow on Twitter. And one of the things that stood out to me was the diversity of the pastors. Uh, men that, that I would say, man, they preach the gospel. They preach Paul's message. They preach the message that Jesus himself preached. And then, of course, there's other pastors that really, I think, have a great deal uh, to say in, in, in the way in which Christianity is shaped and molded within our American culture for us as Christians. And I'll tell you that, that, that what happens in a lot of American churches is that the gospel becomes something that is assumed, that it's assumed that the congregation knows, that the people that they are preaching to know what the gospel is and who it's for and how it's played out in one's life. And, and there's a great danger to assuming you know the gospel. So, so I will tell you for myself, I don't ever assume I know the gospel because it's just too easy and too dangerous to, to blend itself or to bleed itself outside of the message of grace. And so many churches in America become what I would call uh, just, just kind of glorified with a church stamp self-help. The messages tend to be more like TED Talks and the messages tend to uh, be heavy on precepts. You know what I mean by precepts? Precepts are like are the, the, the do's and the don'ts. How many of you have seen in the magazine rack when you're walking through the grocery store an article that says five steps to becoming more beautiful? Ten steps to getting uh, eight-pack abs. The ten steps, that's it? You only need ten steps? Man, ten steps and you can get abs. Have you ever seen these articles? And we eat them up. I know you've seen them because, you all, because they're, they're everywhere. They're on social media. They're on Instagram. It's all about what can I do to get something? 
What can I do to get something? And so what happens in some of the American churches, by and large, is the gospel's assumed, so grace is left behind, and you're left with a lot of to-dos and a lot of to-don'ts. Now, there's absolutely nothing wrong with precepts, okay? So, so let me make that clear. Uh, in fact, Christianity has at least 10 of them. The Ten Commandments. Uh, in fact, Jesus takes the ten precepts, the Ten Commandments, and he turns them into two precepts, love God and love your neighbor. But what we forget within Christianity is what the ten precepts or the ten commandments or the two precepts, love God, love one another, are actually there for. Why do they exist? Uh, and, and so, so I, I had heard a, a pastor that I admire. His name's Matt Chandler. Some of you probably heard of him. Uh, several years ago, Matt Chandler is a pastor of a very large church in Texas who I believe does a very good job preaching the gospel of grace. He's, he's a guy that you can listen to and I think that you can trust for the most part. For the most part, okay? So some people say, well, you know Matt Chandler? I'm like, yeah, yeah, whatever. He preaches grace for the most part. Now, with that said, I, I say that because uh, there's no such thing as a perfect pastor and everyone said, thank you, Lord. There's no such thing as a perfect pastor. And so we put the emphasis on the perfect pastor, which is Jesus. So he, several years ago, Matt Chandler was diagnosed with a, uh, a brain tumor. And he was sharing this idea of grace versus law. And he shared that when he had his brain tumor, he had to have his brain checked out within an MRI machine. And he said, I could go through that MRI machine 15 times, 20 times, 50 times, 100 times, but that MRI machine will only tell me I have a brain tumor. It will only be a diagnostic to say this is what is wrong with his brain. What that MRI machine is never capable of is making Matt Chandler at that time uh, free from a brain tumor. It will never heal him. Something else will be needed, radiation, surgery, to heal him. But the MRI machine will never do that. That's the 10 precepts, the two precepts, if you will. It's a diagnostic tool for mankind to declare to you the cancer that exists within you. That's exactly what it's for. It's, it's not for hardly any other purpose other than that. So, so you read the Ten Commandments and you don't go, this is what I must do to get God. You read it and go, oh my gosh, I'll never get to God. And so just to be clear, he, Jesus shows up on the scene. He says, okay, listen, you're trying to get to heaven by, by actually abiding by these Ten Commandments, but I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna, make it really easy for you and show you how you can clearly never get to heaven through your own actions. You've got, in order to get to heaven, you've got to live perfectly. To live perfectly, you've got to love God with all your heart, all your mind, and all your soul, and you've got to love your neighbor in a like manner. How are you doing this morning? How did you do getting here, Mom? Dad? How did you do just driving here? Last night, we uh, went to go to so ministries in Mexico, their event in Roseville, and we got stuck on the summit because there was chain control, to which uh, we said, chain control? This is silliness. We told the people we're trucky locals and they didn't care. Uh, so we, 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 we dodged chain control and we made it down the hill. I had a reason for telling you that story. I guess I, I'm just confessing that Wayne was in sin last night when he dodged chain control. Um, <clears throat> But I was the devil in the back of the van. You can do it. You'll be fine. So um, you can't add to your faith. You can't do anything to be saved because it's, 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 it's Jesus and Jesus alone. And this is what... 
Paul is telling to Peter. He's standing up to Peter. He's backing up his authority, and he's letting us know. He's saying, listen, Peter, by you changing the camp and who you eat with, I know in your culture it was a way it was a way that you felt clean. It was a way that, that, that made you right before God. But now Jesus has opened up the doors to all cultures and all people. In fact, the word he says here, if you take a look at the text, I told you to underline it. He said his conduct, verse 14, was not in step. Uh, this, is, this is a way to say it was not in line with the gospel of grace. The Greek word that's used here is orthopedio uh, or ortho. Uh, the, the first part's the most important. I'm not, I'm not Greek, so you have to forgive me. But ortho, which if, if you've ever worked in the dental field, if you've ever had uh, braces, you know, orthodontics, what do they do? They make it in line. It's, they make it perfect. They keep it in step. So this is what Paul's saying. He's saying that the gospel you're living, because you've jumped camps, Peter, you're no longer in line with the gospel. You're no longer perfect with the gospel. That's why in Christianity we say we, say we are orthodoxy. Doxy is doxology, means praise. We are in step, we are in line with our doxology, right? Uh, and I think it, Dave last week, who did a tremendous job preaching from the text uh, preceding this one, uh, he mentioned the word uh, orthopraxy, which again is, is language that is, praxy means praxis. It's, it's that our, our doctrine, our orthodoxy, our theology has to be correct and in line so then our orthopraxy, our, our right living and our right conduct are in line with the gospel. And this is what Peter is saying. He's saying you have to have correct praise, correct theology, so you can have correct living. And Peter, you are a hypocrite. Could you imagine showing up to church and Wayne did something that was out of line and I stood up in front of all of you and said, Wayne, I rebuke you. This is what Paul did. That is a very interesting church meeting uh, that some people would eat up, right? It would be like, let's make a TV show out of that. <clears throat> but it's important because the gospel is at stake. Now, he, he does this, number one, again, like I mentioned, he does it because of fear of man. Peter has a fear of man issue. He's fearful. Peter is also doing this. A couple reasons that this happens. When you start to, the, the reasons we start to trade in the gospel of grace for something other than the gospel of grace is, I think, it is all for all of us deeply rooted in a fear man issue. Many of the pastors that I mentioned that are, are more about precepts than the gospel, they, the reason that many pastors are about precepts more than the gospel is because precepts sells books and makes money and gets people in church. And so it's like, it, it gets easy for a pastor, and I have even felt that temptation, what, what can I do to, to, to manipulate people to come to church in and ho and hopes then to manipulate them to accept the gospel? And what I believe firmly is if you manipulate people to come to Jesus through sales or through popularity contests or through lights or through great artistry and shows, if, if, if that is the core value of, of who you are, then those individuals will not stick with Jesus. As later Paul will say, they left from us because they were never a part of us. What, what really brings people to a, a committed relationship with Jesus Christ is to experience the precepts in the way that they were intended. I am a sinner and I am in need of saving grace and grace alone that comes from Jesus. And when you experience the brokenness and the shatteredness of your heart, 
and you know that you're not right with God, and you know that the world is broken, and you experience that ugliness and shame, and you finally say, I don't want that anymore. I want to be freed from my guilt. I, I want to know that I'm, I'm not living in sin anymore, and I'm not identified by what the world or the devil says of me, or even what my flesh and my own mind says of me. I need something new. And then you come into an encounter of Jesus Christ, and he tells you that he loves you fully, and he knows you fully, and he gives himself to you fully, then and only then when people see that message, that's what creates committed disciples of Jesus Christ. It's not better music. It might be better preaching, but not the way that we think of in the world. Not an emphasis on, on, on the entertainment value. You need to leave here every now and then feeling a little uncomfortable. You need to know that, that, that God is for you, but he, he's not interested, and here's another way to say it, God is not interested in making bad people better people. If you came here to become a better person, you showed up on the wrong day. God's interested in making dead people come alive. If you're interested in putting your old life behind you, if you're interested in, in dying the, to, to, to the self and to the selfishness and the ego of culture, then Jesus is for you. And Paul says, hey, Peter, you're being, not only are you doing this because, because of fear, you're being hypocritical and it's contagious. Notice even Barnabas, the great encourager, starts to embrace this and separate himself from one people group to another people group. So again, we, we, have to, we have to be committed to <clears throat> the message of grace as Christians because if we're not, if even just one of you starts to focus on salvation by precepts or salvation by adhering to the law or some other thing, then it starts to bleed into the church and we start to get contagious. The next thing you know, we're no longer a church of grace. We're a church that is operating under the law and under bondage. Look at chapter 3, verse 1. Paul's response to the Galatians after leaving behind this particular kind of faith, what does he say? Oh, foolish Galatians. I mean, imagine now he's, he's saying to Peter, Peter, you had all the freedom in the world. You had bacon. You had shrimp. You had lobster. You had new culture. You had new friends. Who bewitched you? Who, who, who tricked you to leave that behind and to go back to your old life? You know how this plays out in the church a little bit? This legalism, Here, here's a statement I've heard over the years, to one degree or another, whenever we've made any particular change in the church at all, why are you changing that? Uh, that is the way that we have always done it. Those are, like, those are like red flags for me just to destroy stuff for the sake of destroying it, just to shake it up. Because whenever we do that, we say, well, wait, wait a minute, why, why has the music changed? Why is it that the children's church dismisses maybe at a different time? How come the services are a particular length? Well, you know, you know, you know, Jesse, uh, the, the right Bible to, to use is the King James Version Bible. That's, that's the right translation. To which I say all of those things are Jesus plus. Sometimes I just want to change translations every single week just so people go, what are you doing? Well, Jesus plus nothing, right? Is it Jesus plus nothing or is it Jesus plus something? Is it the message of Jesus Christ that saves people? Does our church do things better than another church? I hope not. 
Do we have preferences? We do, but your preferences should never be a way for you to feel more justified or better than somebody else. Now, I'm, I'm really going to maybe step on some toes here a little bit. One of the reasons that Paul is rebuking Peter is because Peter has become too much of a nationalist. Peter has attached his identity to the nation to which he belongs. And I would open up the dialogue for us as Americans that I think we as Americans may have done the same thing, especially in our Christian culture and churches. An elitist mentality. Now, I'm thankful. I'm super thankful. I, I thank the Lord as often as I can. He, he saw fit to allow me to be born in the United States of America where I am free to proclaim the gospel to you this morning. To that we rejoice. I'm thankful that America has done what it has done for other nations and other people groups. But we can still take our nationality and make it more important than what God wants it to be. Do you know the kingdom of God is bigger than our national borders? And now we live in a day and age where we have to address a particular issue or situation. And that, that, that issue and situation is, is that one time we could stand up as a pastor and as a people group and we could say, We're, we need to reach the world. And Christians all over America would say, we do we got to go reach the world. And so we would get in airplanes and we'd dr we, we wouldn't drive across uh, the ocean, but we would fly across it. And, and we'd go to different countries and we'd preach the gospel and we'd send missionaries to all of these different places. Now, today, whether you like it or not, we don't have to go to the world to reach the world because the world is coming to us. What do we do? Do we do what Peter does and say, listen, 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 if you're really going to know Jesus, you've got to eat lasagna, man. You've got to do it the American way. Or do we open up our homes or do we go into those homes and we open up the gospel and realize that God wants to save every people group across the world, every tribe, every tongue, every nation. Now, I feel really blessed because now I grew up for the most part, and I can say this because I'm from that people group. I grew up pretty much white trash. You can laugh, it's okay. I did. Uh, I used to live for periods of time in a couple of the different trailer parks here in Truckee. My, my family was not well off early on. And, and, and I married, I went down to San Diego because that's what you got to do if you're a single male and uh, you want to get married to a Christian woman. So I moved to San Diego. I went to a church down there. And I met Allie, and, and I fell in love with Allie, and I married her. Uh, and one of the things I didn't know when we started dating was how Mexican my wife is. Now, I can say that because my wife's Mexican. She's Mexican. And, and so being a Hispanic gal with her mom, she's Hispanic. Her, her grandmother is Hispanic. I have sat down. I have been offered uh, tripe for, you know what tripe is? Okay. If you don't, you can Google it. Uh, hey, want to eat some tripe? No. No, I don't. Now, now my, my wife's mom, who grew up in a Hispanic home, married my, wife, uh, my wife's uh, stepfather, who raised her, who's Chinese. Mexican wife, Chinese husband, who moved here when he was 19, 18, 19 years old, from Hong Kong, didn't speak a lick of English, put himself through school, is doing amazing. But I can tell you, have you, uh, you have not had Christmas until you have had egg rolls and burritos. 
It's a different kind of Christmas. Okay, now I remember the very first time my father-in-law took me to dim sum. Have you ever done dim sum? There's some amazing things about dim sum, but he made a mistake. The very first thing he ordered on the menu was chicken feet. Really? Man, dude, I have never uh, lost my appetite so fast than to see a man suck on chicken toes, dude. <laughs> oh, man. I was like, I'm, I'm not hungry. I, everything they brought on that little cart, all I could see was chicken feet. It's like, mm, nope, keep going. It's like Peter in that blanket, uh-uh, not going to do it. And I keep hearing the Lord, don't call it unclean, man. Like, no, that's dirty. Keep it going. <laughs> now, the reason I share that is because, like, I, I grew up very American. My parents are very American. They're very, in many ways, uh, nationalist, nationalistic. My, my father, before he passed, very, very nationalistic. But, but here's what you need to understand about the message and the grace of Jesus Christ. When we go to heaven, it will be every tribe, every tongue, rich and poor, will all, will all have a place at the table, and one will not be better than the other. And my friends, we have an opportunity right now in the United States of America to show the rest of the world that Jesus is for them just as much as he is for you. And I can't tell you how enjoyable it is for me to sit down and experience the music of the different nations, the tastes of the different nations, the smells of the different nations, all of which declare the glory of God for every man and every woman was made in the image of God. Our doors should be wide open and not saying, you've got to be like us if you're going to be saved. No, 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 no. You've got to be like Jesus. Forget being like me. Forget being American for a moment. Because when you show up and you step inside of heaven, it will not look like America. In fact, I would argue with you there may be more ethnic diversity in America than what is represented in this room. Far more. Far more. Do you know what's happening in China right now? Do you know what's happening in that church as it's being persecuted and downtrodden the gospel, my friends, is for all. And this is why Paul is so emphatic. This is why, why, why when you study Scripture, you have to understand when we study Scripture, the exegetical part of studying is just as important as the application. And what I mean by exegetical is the, it's the process of, of reading the Bible in its original language to the original people that the Bible was written to from the original author in which he wrote it. And only then can you understand that and take it into application. This is exactly what Peter is being told by Paul, you've made your nation a God and you're allowing it to impact your church and it's a hindrance for people coming to salvation. And I would say to you, I think the same challenge is for you and I this morning. In what ways is our nationalism keeping other people from other nations to experience the goodness of Jesus? In what ways have you allowed your preferences to be a block to be a deterrent to the gospel of grace. How do we solve this? Here's the first solution. Number one, the first solution is you have to see your own gracious welcoming in Christ Jesus. You have to see that Jesus opened the door to you. And you know what I mean by that? Who was salvation for? For so many years. Just the Jews. It was the Israelites who were favored. It wasn't the Ammonites. It wasn't the Jebusites. It was the Jews. And then, and then as we step into the, the, the realm of Jesus Christ, Jesus says it's no longer for the Jews. It's for you too now. 
And I would say, by and large, 98% of you, you are Gentiles. You were not included in the initial covenant to Jesus Christ. And then Jesus opened up that door for you. You have to see the welcoming of God at his dinner table so you then can open up your door to others. Number two, you have to see your justification is by faith alone and nothing else. Take a look at verse 16. This, this is, I don't have time to get into it as much as I would like, but there is some meat in verses 16 and 17. Let me read it to you. <clears throat> Let me read it to you and highlight a couple things. Yet we know that a person is not justified, if you're taking notes, underline justified, by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. Everyone say, in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed, everyone say it again, in Christ Jesus. In order to be justified, there it is a second time, by faith, and everyone say, in Christ again, in Christ, and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. One verse, and Paul says that we are saved and we are justified. Justified is a big million-dollar Christian word to say, you have been justified before God, you have been declared right before God, in that in Christ, your old life is hidden in Christ, you have not sinned, your old life has been nailed, it's just as if you had never sinned, and it's just as if you had done everything right in God's eyes, you are now a perfect person. And you're, you're made that way by faith alone, not by the law of God, not by, lo- not, not by what version of the Bible you read, not by what denomination you're a part of, but by faith and faith alone in Jesus Christ, the one and only Jesus Christ from the Word of God. He says that's how you're justified. He says it three times. He's hammering it home. Justified, justified, justified. Then he adds it again in verse 17, and he says in Christ again. Two verses, four times justified occurs, four times in Christ occurs. Now this is the point in the message where you understand the radical grace of God in that at the cross we realize the grace of Jesus at the cross is that there were actually four things that were nailed to the cross. These four things, understanding the gospel and the gospel of grace, open up the gospel to every tribe, nation, and tongue, to every group of person, even you this morning. Four things nailed to the cross. Number one, Jesus himself. God. That's number one. Number two, above Jesus was a sign, said the king of the Jews several different languages. Number three, Colossians tells us, in addition to Jesus being nailed to the cross, in addition to the sign being nailed to the cross, Colossians chapter two tells us the debt of our sin was nailed to the cross. Everyone say amen. Listen to what it says. We were dead in our trespasses. Remember I said he's in the business not of making bad people better, but making dead people alive. You were dead in your trespasses in the uncircumcision of your flesh, then God made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses, all that which we've done wrong, he forgives. Canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, he set aside our sin and our debt, and he nailed it to the cross to die. The language that's used in Colossians, if anyone has debt this morning, first of all, why? Secondly, (laughs) Whether it's mortgage or whether it's a car, your financial debt, imagine now, your financial debt, that which you owe is is burnt away. It's dealt with. It's gone. Anyone got some college debt they want to get rid of? It's gone. Anybody got a car debt? 
It's gone. Anyone got mortgage? It's gone. And it was like, that sounds, that sounds amazing. It would be amazing. And this is what Jesus has done when we sin against God. It creates a kind of debt against God. But on the cross, when we believe in him on faith, he removes the debt. You never have to open up the credit card statement again. Doesn't that sound something that's worthy to be praised? Those are three things, but I said there were four. What's the fourth one? The text just shared it. You were nailed to the cross. Man. There's this great theology, this great doctrine, which causes us hopefully appropriate, again, doxology and praise of God. Ortho thinking, inline thinking. When we believe in Jesus Christ and we give our hearts to him, as we say in American speak, we put our faith in him, we, we literally become what is called one with Christ, one with him. And Paul says, listen, you've now died to the law. What does that mean? You know what the law brings when you don't adhere to the law? Guilt. You know what you've died to? Guilt. Guilt dies. It's been dealt with and then you're unified with Jesus Christ. He has taken all of your debt. You're made one with him. And so now you and the Father and Jesus and the whole entire Trinity, you're completely bound up, wrapped up in him. And so he says, it's no longer, I no longer live this life. The life I now live, I live for Jesus because I am one with Jesus. That's the freedom. That's the freedom that you and I have. And we say, we say, Everyone's asking it, how, how do I deal with, with my guilt? How do I deal with my depression? How do I, how do I deal with my, my wrong relationships with parents? How do I deal with my brokenness and my fracturedness? Because we all have it. We all have it. Every single one of us have it. Whether it was from, from how you were raised to, to how you were spoken to, to something a, a teacher said or some bully making fun of you or, or you making mistakes and raising your children. It could be a whole plethora of things. The, the way that we, we end up complicating our lives is complicated. But the way out of that complication is really very simple. It's faith in Jesus with a new identity in Jesus. Not because of what you have done, but because Jesus has accomplished everything that needs to be done for us to be saved and to be made right with God. Let me read the verses again. We ourselves are Jews, I'm sorry, verse 16, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Is it Jesus alone or is it Jesus alone? But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we were found to be sinners in Christ, then a servant of sin, certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. And then here's the key. For through the law I died to the law that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Can I just say to you this morning, there is no reason, there is no validation for you ever being insecure. You are who God made you to be. And you are to rejoice and live in the freedom of who you are. You don't lose your individuality. You're brought into a new relationship with him. 
and that individuality becomes important inside the family of God, we should be rejoicing in the fact that we're different. Not bemoaning it. Here people say, well, I'd get along with more Christians if more Christians would ski. I get along with Christians if more Christians would do whatever hobby or do whatever thing. You know how you get along with Christians? Because you're all sinners and you're all saved by grace. C.S. Lewis says the moment of friendship is born with you too. You're a sinner? You too? Me too. Saved by grace? Me too. Let's go sing together. How do you want to sing? I don't know. Some of you might like hymns. Some of you might like modern music. Some of you might like electric guitar. What are you going to get on a Sunday? I don't know. Like I tell my kids, you get what you get and you don't throw a fit. Just focus on Jesus. And we'll, we'll let that other stuff sort itself out. Don't let your preferences get in the way of the gospel. Let the gospel be, as, as Spurgeon says, a lion. Just let it out of its cage. It'll eat you up. It'll consume you. It'll make you new. As the team comes up, I just want to highlight a couple of, I don't, I'm going to stop doing these stupid slides because I never use them anymore, but there's some good content in them. Um, <clears throat> two things that uh, I want to challenge you with this week in our next steps. Number one, I want you to celebrate. I want you to take some time this week to meditate and just in, in prayer and ask the Lord, what areas have you been walking in ortho with the gospel, in line with the gospel over the last month or last year? And just just celebrate that. Celebrate the win. Celebrate the victory. Thank God that he's given you the ability to live for his glory. And then number two is a little tougher. I want you to do some introspection and discover are there people in your church, are there people around you that you've not been eating with, hanging out with, fellowshipping with because they're not like you? What self-righteousness lies beneath that attitude? I challenge you probably too to over the next coming weeks, maybe months, you've got to be sly about this, inviting people into your home to eat with them that you normally wouldn't invite to your home. The reason I say you be careful is because if you do it after this service, it might seem a little shady, but you should do it at some point and opening up the door. And here's the deal. This is not confined just to people in your church. It's, con- it's confined also to people uh, of your context. In our context, it's the Lake Tahoe Basin. You know, we're, we're, we're doing our part when we think of the Hispanic community in our community. There isn't a church in this area other than the Catholic Church that does not teach this radical message of a gospel by grace. You can say what you want about the Catholic Church. I know there's people who are here from the Catholic Church. I know there's people who visit from the Catholic Church. Uh, and I do believe that there are probably Christians within the Catholic Church, but I will tell you that that the backbone of Catholicism is not this. That's why Luther left the Catholic Church, because of this book. He said, we're not saved by a priest or by confessing our sins to a priest. We're saved because there's one mediator between God and man, and that's Jesus himself. But we, we would say, you know, Lord, we want there to be a church for our Hispanic friends that are moving to this area, that work in this area. I mean, if, you can't live here without knowing some of our beautiful Hispanic friends. You can't. And it breaks my heart that they are not part of a church family. And it breaks my heart that they're not hearing the gospel. And it breaks my heart that they don't have a place they can call their own Christian home. I don't know what God has for us in that. But what I know is that I've had to, 
ask questions and be in conversations about what do we need to change so they might be welcome here on a Sunday morning? Or what do we need to do to give them a place to be where they feel comfortable? Because, because for me to say, you know what, you're Hispanic, but we're mostly white, and if you're going to be a Christian, you've got to worship the way we worship. No, they don't. I mean, if we can find a way to blend the two, that's beautiful, but I'm not going to try to make someone be something they're not. I want them to come to Jesus as they are, just like I did, just like you did. We don't start to get ruined until we've been part of a church for too long. It's after been being saved. For, well, this is what it means to be a Christian. Get all uptight about stuff that just doesn't matter. Salvation is grace alone and Jesus alone by faith alone. I am unapologetic about it. I will not say I am sorry. And if that's not for you, there are plenty of other places you can get precepts. But I want to give you Jesus. I want to give the community Jesus. And I want to see Jesus move in such a way that he is radically glorified and the world is changed because of this message. I would pray you would join into the warfare that is spiritual with me in that battle. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for what you're doing in our hearts and in our midst. I would ask that you would solidify these things, that they would not leave us, that they would be rooted in our DNA, for we are to live and be shaped in your image. May we not make an idol of our nation, may we rather worship you and praise that the nations would instead look like you. We trust you for this. We trust that you will continue to proclaim your good word and continue to bring people to the saving grace that you provide in spite of us. We trust you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, friends, let's stand together and...